Hi, everyone, and welcome to Two Goals, a platform inspiring future leadership in football. I am Katia. And I'm Maria Laura. And today, we need to start things a bit differently. Maria, could you please tell us what is about to happen this week? Well, yes, Katia, this is very exciting. Um, football fans everywhere, remember that this Thursday, the FIFA Council is selecting the host for the Women's World Cup of, two, of 2023. And the candidates are Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and of course, my lovely country, Colombia. So Katia, do you have any favorite or any thoughts on that? Sorry, Maria. I know your country is lovely, although I've never been there. But I think it will be Australia and New Zealand, the S1 campaign that will win. Uh, we can see by the evaluation report which FIFA launched some weeks ago that they have the perfect conditions to host the tournament. And I really think uh, the Matildas and the Ferns are the favourites to host the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> of course, I, I, I do. I can't disagree against <laughs> the numbers, but at the same time, um, I mean, you'll never know. And it was, it was, it appeared like an amazing opportunity for South America to be hosting the this major event. But yeah, I mean, I for me, this changed a lot when I when I read the the results. So I mean, we'll, the the idea the idea is just to. To have a starting point, I think this is a, a, an amazing first step for Colombia to actually be aware of what they have in, in the sense of trying to, to become the next big host of a major event. So, I mean, it is what it is, but at the same time, I think this is, this is really relevant for us to have this, this data to start improving. The, the, the importance of this, of this starting point in this interview as well is just because since we're going to be talking about women's football events, about how to organize, about where to, where to start with promoting women's football, it's because we have a very special guest today that is going to be having these opinions and, and contributions to this. And his name is Xavi Bove. Xavi is a sports marketing consultant, professor of sports marketing at EASIC, women's football writer with seven ebooks and more than 300 articles with a clear mission statement, creating meaningful brands with optimism, creativity, and curiosity. Xavi, welcome to our podcast. Welcome, Xavi. And to start, please, can you tell us what are you expecting in the next Women's World Cup from the perspective of a sports marketing consultant? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Maria Laura, Katia, for the introduction and for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. And I think it's a, a very interesting topic, uh, the one you raised, because uh, we saw that uh, last year we had a very successful tournament in France with the FIFA Women's World Cup. And, and now, um, especially considering the, the pandemic, um, we will see how women's football evolves until 2023. But I would say, and you were you were mentioning that recently we have seen the evaluations for the different bits of the countries with Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and Colombia. I think Maria Laura and Katia that we will see the tournament of, of the, the consolidation of women's football as a mass market product. I think that not only the first time viewers that watched the FIFA Women's World Cup last year in France um, will repeat, but it will be useful to get to an even broader broader audience. And from a commercial perspective, 
Um, what I expect is um, advancements or improvements in the areas of uh, fund engagement of technology. I think that sponsorship especially is evolving towards a more experiential uh, field where funds can um, enjoy and, and can also experience the tournament in a different way from uh, offline in the stadium, but also from the digital standpoint. So I believe that technology and experiences will be key in, in marketing in the, in the next tournaments and especially the FIFA Women's World Cup. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned some kind of milestones that we had and we hope to reach in the next tournament. But can you please mention uh, to our audience to know uh, some milestones in marketing for women's football during the last World Cup or even if we can look here at a bigger picture along the years? If you want to, to, to mention mm. from 2015 in Canada and now uh, with last year World Cup? Yes, exactly. Uh, yes, we've seen, for instance, that last year the tournament uh, got to more than 1 billion viewers across all platforms. Also, FIFA channels increased more than 1 million uh, follow followers in different uh, social media accounts. Uh, also, the stadium occupancy was over 70 um, percent. So I believe that um, from from this perspective, the numbers are there. The question is if they could be higher, if they could have been higher. Uh, that's a good question. And, and I think that if you compare that to Canada, all of them are, are bigger. So that's uh, good, good news. And, and also that the challenge is how these numbers will be increased and, and worked. Uh, on, on them to be increased in the next um, FIFA Women's World Cup in, in this period of uh, from now 2020 and uh, to 2023. So there were, yes, uh, very valuable milestones. And I think that, that's, that the challenge is how we build up from, from that and how we also improve the, the experience. I, I had the pleasure of and the opportunity to, to be there in France. And I really enjoyed, especially the semifinals and the final in, in Lyon. I think that the fan experience was uh, another level that then domestic competitions and clubs can also follow the lead from these big events and, and big brands. We saw uh, DJs in the stadium and at the Groupama Stadium in Lyon, for instance, and also the brand activations outside the stadium there were uh, also very entertaining and, and, and funny for, for fans. So, so yes, I think that that's a, a great... Uh, second step following the, let's say maybe the first, it was not the first World Cup, but maybe Canada was the, the first tournament or, or at least from my, in my opinion, that started to, to grow the awareness for women's football. And the next one I think will be the consolidation of it. So Xavi, you were lucky uh, to have the discussion with, with FIFA uh, about you, the usage of, of digital tools of social media in this last event and you were mentioning for example the micro, micro segmentation that they are trying to do in the sense of focusing more into fans from each country like specialize the experience for each of them and also the creation of specific accounts for women's football do you have any opinion about this new tools that they're using inside the digital era what's your perspective on that mm. Exactly. Yes, for, for my blog, I had the opportunity to interview Elisa Revuelta. Uh, she, she has worked for FIFA and in tournaments, FIFA tournaments for many, many years. And, and she was explaining how 
they implement a business strategy of focusing on each country, having um, like country country representatives uh, that informed and had uh, special and individualized accounts for each country. And I think it's a strategy that uh, proved to be very effective because in the end, um, if you think about it, um, we as consumers, we want to, to con well, to have content and value that is personalized for us. We, don't, we prefer personalized value in terms of products, services, and content rather than uh, too generic uh, content. Um, so if we can know what's going on with our team during the World Cup in our, in our uh, language and also with the perspective from the people of our country, that's a, that what does is to in, increase the, and, and improve the experience of fans. So, and I also recall the example of Roma. Uh, as Roma, they they also created individual accounts for the women's team, and and I attended once a lecture by uh, Paul Rogers, um, an executive from their uh, digital department, and it was great to see the results because they they were personalizing the, the experience um, into so much detail that fans really appreciate that. And we have seen different examples, uh, such as Manchester City when they launched the campaign uh, "Same City, Same Passion," mm -hmm. and I think that. It's a different strategy. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would pick. Um, I, I I think it's better to personalize the experience in the mo in the most possible way. In this sense, so actually, what you're mentioning it it has become a trend not only in sports marketing, just in general about focusing into personalizing, putting the the human in the center. I mean, like trying to, to create the, the offer of products and services around the actual needs of the human. Hmm. But just um, I'm curious, is it different dealing with a male athlete brand than a female athlete brand? Since you're mentioning this, I just want to, you to go deeper on the difference between these two products in a way of saying. Yes. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, I, I like this question because um, we tend to differentiate products between women's football and, and men's football. And regarding to athletes, I would say that each athlete is a, diff a whole different product or a whole different story. I mean, we as we are in the end, we are we are people. We have different personalities, and each player has a personality that can develop a, a unique story. So I, I wouldn't say that um, it's different. What we can see, which is different, is the it's maybe the purpose that women's football has that maybe uh, men's football doesn't. We see many times how players want to uh, improve and, and to and to provide tools for the next generations. For instance, I, I have I have the opportunity to work with Rocky Rodriguez. She plays for Portland Thorns, and we have been working together since January 2018. And and her mission is to is to improve the standards and to provide tools and and, and valuable resources for uh, the next generations of. Uh, girls and women in Costa Rica and and we we, we build a head run up up from from that mission and that goal and this is why we, we create pieces of content such as uh, the seed of the day where we try to provide uh, insights and ideas to to grow in terms of uh, personal development and also sports and, and, and work and developing uh, oneself from also the professional perspective and and that has led us led us to to increase a lot our um, uh, average of likes in, in digital, also of interaction. For instance, interaction has increased more than 150% since uh, 2018 because of working on, on her brand. And, and what, is, what, is, 
what does it mean working on someone's brand on, or an athlete's brand? Brand to me is, is building the essence of a story. If you think about it, Maria Laura and, and Katia, we understand the world through stories. We yeah. tell stories about what we buy. If we buy an iPhone for 1,000 uh, euros, uh, for instance, we, we are telling the story about what we're buying, not only the price. It's the same with, with athletes. Um, we're telling a story and people want to be entertained, not just informed about the score of the, of the, of the game, but entertained and know what happens off the field and what is the 360 uh, personality of the player and, and this is what we try to work with Rocky and actually this has led us as well to rank among top 10 New Balance athletes uh, in terms of uh, brand exposure of, of this point and yes it's about telling, telling stories and being uh, authentic. Without, without thinking that it's female or male I, I like what you just mentioned because it is a matter of of actually trying to, to see what your audience want and how they can relate with your brand, yeah? Exactly, and if you think about it from a club perspective, for instance, uh, Portland Thorns, mm -hmm. you have the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns, and they are both uh, the same uh, institution, and, and you have the, the men's team and the women's team, but they are based on the philosophy of the, the city of roses. They, they don't say, uh, come to, to watch the women because they are women, no come towards the, the women because they, they uh, embody our philosophy. They are one of us. They also have the same philosophy of openness and also uh, freedom and, and this open spirit to, to, to build and, and, and maybe a, a little bit rebel. And, and, and building this kind of con culture is what attracts people. Same with Bilbao and, and San Mames. People attend, attend games because of the badge, because of the logo and what it represents, not because of uh, if it's a women's a game or a men's game yeah absolutely and you you mentioned your work with raquel uh it was a successful work but there's there's also here about build, building a brand that's very important for a player uh, nowadays that is we are all always talking about the bigger brands in the case of the clubs so we are talking about Barcelona, even the national teams, we are talking about the ones that are portrayed in the, that play in the World Cup. But sometimes we forgot about, we forget about the, the, the small clubs, like, let's call it like that. Because, hmm. for example, we look at Europe and you only have a, one fully professional um, league. So some of the countries have amateur leagues. And these players, they have also the necessity to build their own brand in order some, sometimes to stay in the country, other times to jump out of this, this country and fly uh, all over the world if they can to play, to play all <laughs> over the world. So how, how important it is to build also this player's brand and how can you spread the awareness to them saying you can do it if you, if you are good on the pitch and if, for you to portray yourself uh, out in the world, you have to build your own brand. How can you reach these players too? Um, I think we have to to start uh, recognizing maybe the, the change of paradigm that, that has been happening in sports marketing the last years, which is um, we are moving from the, the sports industry towards the entertainment industry. Before we are competing with Netflix, with Amazon Prime, with this kind of uh, platforms because in the end it's entertainment we want mm -hmm. to have a good time and when we're watching a game or when we are watching content from from an athlete so um 
having said this, um, the process is usually, is, I mean, the process of creating and establishing a, a successful brand, it's, it's always the same, regardless of the industry, I and mean, if it's an athlete or a club, which is first building visibility, building awareness, letting people know that you exist. And this is when comes the part of uh, building the, the essence of the brand, that is the brand story, the brand positioning statement, the values, the personality, the market, uh, target market, for instance. And once we let people know that we exist and what we stand for, it's time to, to get engaged in engagement, to, 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 to try to build trust uh, with content, with actions, with uh, experience, to finally make an impact through sales, through uh, media impact, through social impact, for instance. So it's very important, and especially in women's football, in the case that you mentioned with the small clubs, because we tend to always sell uh, equality. And, mm -hmm. and I think that we have to go beyond equality. I mean, it's very useful. And I'm, a, I, I mean, I, I'm an activist or an advocate for equality because I believe that with meaningful brands, we can build a better society. But yeah. if all the clubs sell equality, um, then when would, where would be the difference? among yeah. clubs or, or players. So I think this is why it's very important to go beyond equality and to dig deep, uh, dig deep in, in our clubs, uh, stories and, and, and traditions and, and culture, because in the end, uh, it's about building uh, relationships with our fans. And, and I would, well, I would advise all, all, all the clubs to do that exercise to first to, to build the product and then sell it. Because many times we, we ask for, for instance, uh, sponsors or brands. But first, we have to think about what we can offer. And not because we are women's football, they have to invest on us because uh, there are women playing. No, they have to invest on women's football because it's very uh, beneficial from many um, perspectives. Could be awareness, it could be engagement or uh, a revenue. Uh, and actually, as we were talking about the, the FIFA Women's World Cup, um, with that tournament, Nike uh, increased sales by seven percent, and also the Nike jersey was the the most the jersey that was uh, I think it got the it was a record break uh, breaking record, yeah, in terms of uh, sales on Nike.com. So it yeah. can be profitable, and and we have to work for it. So I mean. It might sound like a rhetorical question after you just the, the things that you just said, but it is. Do you think that it is it is negative in a way, or or maybe no? I should go the other way around. Is it positive to keep uh, speaking about women in and relating in relating them with being like a social brand? I mean, and at the same time, do you think that maybe one of the challenges of women's football right now? is that we don't have like special data gathered and focusing to selling this as a product, like an, as, a, as an attractive product, as an opportunity for business, rather than just, oh yeah, let's, let's help them because we need to increase uh, equity and, and equality in women's sport. Exactly, totally, I, I agree 100%. I think that many times we, we approach companies or potential sports or saying, uh please invest invest in us because we need it instead of of educating them uh about the values and about the benefits that they can they can gain and they can win with uh by by investing in in women's football obviously um i think that the impact that women's football and football can have from a social standpoint i think is vital i think it's a very powerful tool to to build a, a better world and a better society we saw that 
um, because of the FIFA Women's World Cup, the female registrations went up and increased a lot in France. Also, um, from the We Play Strong campaign from UEFA, we learned that confidence can be strengthened a lot because of playing football among girls and women. And, and actually, for my blog, I was interviewing uh, the head of women's sport at Bain Sports. And, and she was mentioning how um, producing a podcast with Nadia Nadim, it helped to, to increase awareness in countries or, or markets such as Middle East or North Africa. So I think we, we have to go from, I, I mean, first we have to recognize the value and the power, the power of football over uh, this kind of markets and, and society. But on the other hand, um, to do marketing, we have to establish a product that can be beneficial for brands instead of, of saying, yes, uh, let's have the foundation or treat it as a CSR initiative. No, I think that women's football is a, it's a very attractive product and a very attractive sport um, where brands should be eager to, to be in. And we have seen Budweiser, Visa, Barclays, that they have understood that they have the opportunity to, to shape the future of, of this sport by investing in the, in the long term. And we are talking about marketing, we are talking about brands, and this leads us to sponsorship. And we, we all know that sponsorship is a huge asset for the women's game. And not only to grow the business, as we were talking about, but also to develop the game inside and outside of the pitch. Could you give us the sports marketing consultant perspective about the importance of the sponsorship and marketing as well? in women's football. So how important it is for the brands to come now, to invest now in the game in order to grow? I think um, that they both have a, have a great opportunity. On the one hand, we see women's football mm -hmm. that um, it's mostly not profitable right now. It's a product, a product that is growing, that uh, it's a long-term investment. And we see, for instance, Premier Iverdrola, they lose several millions every season. Um, because they are they are growing and clubs are professionalizing uh, marketing, also what happens on the beach. And we have, for instance, uh, Barclays, the Women's Super League. Uh, they have losses around £500,000 to £1 million per season. And this is the current situation. This tells us how revenue is it's vital to, to pay players, to, to sustain um, clubs. And But from the other hand, we, we have to understand that um, we are, at, from a business perspective, uh, introduced at introduction stage or starting to, to build the product. So it's like any investment, any startup know, knows this, that in the end you have to invest, invest, invest. And in the long run, you see how, how you have profits and, and benefits. And on the other hand, um, during this pandemic, I've been, in, been very involved in, uh, in a sponsorship in, in women's football here in Spain that uh, I can, I mean, I... I I, I hope that it has uh, it ends well, and uh, I can tell you more about it very soon. And but but things that uh, companies now have great opportunity of investing in undervalued assets because, for instance, we see that uh, Stanley um, they invested in on the women's uh, team of FC Barcelona, and according to Spanish media, they pay around 3.5 million euros per season, and they are associating their brand to the brand of FC Barcelona. So it's a very prestigious brand. And we see Rakuten that pays, uh, I think, a minimum of 50 million euros per season, and they are associating to the same brand. Obviously, the impact is not the same in terms of awareness and visibility, but 
um, they have the opportunity to, to be the pioneers, to be the ones that were there uh, for the first time and invested in the, in the long term. And as we said before, if it's about building relationships and our fans care about equality and care about women, why not uh, telling them and proving them that we do it by investing in, in women's football? And also besides, besides the opportunities that women's football offers in terms of engagement. Right now, with the pandemic, brands need to, to show uh, her, their maybe more human approach or maybe, yes, uh, and to communicate their closeness. And women's football is a, a very, um, I would say, suitable platform to do that because it allows, to, it, it allows brands to position, position themselves as, as human and close brands. Yeah, exactly. And if, if I can leave here a personal note, a comment of what you said, of course, you mentioned numbers. And this, when we talk about sponsorship and engagement, we are also to- talking about investment in the game. This is natural. But I think, really think that also this is a huge opportunity now for, for the brands to come in order to spread the awareness. Why I say this? Because when you look at the audience of women's football, you have a diverse audience, it's diversity everywhere, but you have mainly families. And families are parents and kids. And a brand that invests now, the brand will spread the awareness to this kid or to the girl or the boy, and the brand will grow with them. And this, this means a connection for life. And this, exactly. when you're an adult, you will, you will recall that this brand was with you when you were at the football pitch. And football is connection, is emotion, is a sense of belonging. And you connect your, with your club and with this brand. And you, you will not leave this brand when you are a uh, holder. So this is the way that the brands, it's my opinion, the brand should think about the women's game. It's a long-term investment and also it's a long-term uh, to wait for the return of investment. Of course, as you said, the brands are not making money now. Uh, I, I heard, I don't know where, but I heard that uh, nowadays uh, uh, women's football is like a startup. You expect to lose money in the beginning, but you will yeah. make the money in the end. So as a brand, you have to think outside of the box and you have to go. More than the money, you have to expect a long-term uh, return of investment in the future. Uh, and actually, just to, to add to what Katia is mentioning, I, I remember hearing a couple of stories about uh, Colombian goalkeepers and they keep mentioning the, how hard it was for them to, to find the suitable kids, kids for them to, to train to, or maybe just to personalize. Uh, I mean, they, they were no merchandise, they were no focus. I mean, we, we tend to think, I mean, maybe goalkeepers, they are not always the, the, the star of the pitch. So, I mean, now that Katja is mentioning this, I think it's, it's really relevant to start focusing into analyzing the business ecosystem. I mean, it is important to try and understand uh, the, the multiple micro, micro audiences inside the, this customer the, that, that women's football have. So I think maybe, and there is a, a role here, we need to start showing more uh, of these positive notes of this in a positive language because i think the discussion has gone way too far into oh it's because it is a woman or maybe it's because 
they they are not profitable i mean i think always and i'm speaking from my local point of view it's it is also about negative language and i think this is where you we need more positive brands big positive names and big positive stories to tell about the women's game because if you google something in colombia everything is related to a discussion of power like something like the ones against and the ones in favor of and let's try and um, build some bridges with the numbers let's try to build some bridges with the opportunities for business absolutely and and if you think about it it's about how can brands play a meaningful role in people's lives yeah not not how um how not not go in there because women's football deserves it it does but because brands can uh, win a lot with them and it's about identifying these tribes within women's football women's football is a tribe is a family and by knowing the most the the user or the final or the fan is how brands i think that can provide the, the most value if we think about for instance Budweiser, um they started last year um if you remember the the day of the final they launched uh an ad that was narrated by brandy castain and and they were very self-critical because they said we have been supporting the u.s women's national team for more than two decades i think and and they said but now we realize that we haven't been there for the domestic league uh, every four years so they started to invest in the NWSL, becoming the official the official beer and, and launching many um, new initiatives such as the most valuable fan of the season, having uh, also education for players, doing corners, uh, beer corners in, in stadiums during games. So I think it's a, a very good example of saying we have not been there traditionally, but we want to do things in another way and, and, and be an important uh, part of, of fans' lives by supporting what they cheer for. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have explained this along this podcast right now, that you are an advocate for social causes, but you're also thinking about how the business works. But I checked in your blog this really interesting idea that I have seen in, in different business, uh, and I want you to explain a bit about it in like few words, like really easily for, for our audience. What is that that you call profitable responsibility? Profitable responsibility, I, I would describe that as how you can how you can make an impact on your customers' uh, lives by supporting, by being there in the conversations that they care about and making profit out of that. Um, there's a quote there that I really like that it says that um, your company or your business will grow as much as you grow as a person. And in business is, is very applicable because the, the more value you offer, the more profitable you are. So the more value you offer is directly linked to how we can add more value from a social perspective. If our fans uh, care about, for instance, uh, sustainability, um, the environment, um, the planet, uh, maybe uh, health, health uh, food, for instance, if we can be there in a meaningful way in those conversations, we can we can make money because if, if we add value, if we understand and we can emphasize with their needs and what they stand for, um, we have to be one of them. I mean, it's not about being the company, the sponsor, and the client. No, it's it's about being being a friend, adding value, and we are more than willing to pay for what we believe in. For instance, this week I'm very happy because I had the opportunity to to buy a 
uh, a stock of uh, Leo's uh, football <laughs> <Yes>. club. <laughs> yes, congratulations, uh, by the way. <laughs> You're the shareholder. <laughs> we, we, we want that, we want that as well. So we are really jealous of you. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I was very happy and very happy to pay uh, for that stock because in the end, I believe what they believe in, to provide the same opportunities, opportunities same resources and, and, and same uh, platform to, to women and men. And obviously from, from that, if for instance, women, um, they generate more revenue from, a, a, let's say, a, a decent and a minimum of opportunity. And um, for sure, they, they should uh, get paid more. But I think that there should be um, the same equality in terms of opportunities. And, and then each sport is, is different. And I think that each sport should grow on, on its way, not to, to compare itself to others. But I think that we need the same opportunities in all fields on and off the pitch for men and women. And from, from there, uh, each one should grow in terms of uh, following talent and following opportunity, I believe. And, and yeah, hopefully I can welcome you to, to the club very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But uh, <laughs> regarding to, to this part that Lewis is playing, this is, of course, uh, they are the championship club, I think. So uh, it's yes. different. It's different. Uh, even the men's are not uh, uh, in a, a, a high uh, league, let's say. So do you think this, is, this can be made um, not not talking about the the, the payment the, the the equal pay but the equal conditions. Um, how far is this reality uh, from the bigger clubs? It's it's a challenging question because if it comes down to resources, if you think about it, for instance, uh, we have uh, the TV rights that they are usually the primary source of revenue for clubs and competitions. And, and it's true that um, many competitions are providing those revenues or they are spreading those revenues among clubs in a, in a more equal, equal way. But in the end, the ones that benefit the most from uh, men's clubs, you have FC Barcelona in Spain and Atletico Madrid, for instance. But then you have sports in Huelva uh, that they don't have the same resources. And, and in the end, you cannot blame FC Barcelona for investing and, and having a women's team that, that helps to increase confidence, to increase the participation of, of, of women in, in sport. And, but, but I think we are somehow uh, fo fo football leagues in, in women's football. football they are, uh, top clubs are distancing from uh, the clubs that they, don't, they are not owned by a club that has a, a men's team. So in this sense, we are seeing how a gap is, is expanding every year. And even though we have, as mentioned, and TV, TV revenues that try to, to make a more competitive uh, league, but, but this is the truth. And, and for this reason, I think that marketing is more needed than, than ever to, to try to, to, to do th things in a different way. If you, if you have a look, um, we have Lewis, Lewis FC, that they, they, are not, they are not a, a great or a big club as, as Tottenham or as Chelsea or Arsenal, yeah. but uh, thanks to creativity, doing things differently and, and believing in what they stand for, they have, um, they have made a spot in mm -hmm. European football um, regarding to what they believe in and, and their values. And I, I remember writing also my blog, the case of um, a club in, in Scotland, uh, Glasgow City FC, yeah. Yeah. that they have won the championship 13 seasons in a row 
Mm -hmm. uh, despite having a budget less, 10 times uh, less than, than the great clubs as Celtic and Glasgow, for instance, because, of they, ha because they have managed to, to connect uh, with their reason why, with their purpose and what they believe in. So I think that this is very important for small clubs and it's more um, necessary than ever to do this marketing in small clubs to, to try to not let this gap uh, go to, to broad and, and see competitions more uh, competed and, and with a, a product that is um, commercially more attractive. Xavi, I think that uh, you're able to comment on so many things and you are quite a writer, actually, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> you, should, you should jump into, into his blog and check the different causes and, and topics that he, that he writes about in, in the blog, but just moving into something more related to the pandemic in a way, but in a positive note. I'm curious about why, why did you, you make the choice to, to give some courses for free I mean, to try and tackle unemployment rates right now. Sure, yes. Um, it all started because my, my dad, he's a doctor. My, my mom, she, she's a pharmacist. And, and since seeing that they were uh, doing a lot and making a lot of effort every day to, to tackle this pandemic, I, I wonder um, what could I do to, to solve a problem, to, to help in solving a, a challenge. And I came to the conclusion that I could provide insights and ideas to help people, unemployed people to, to find a job or people that were afraid of losing their current jobs to, to maybe to provide more value and work on their personal brand. So I decided to, to deliver 10 online sessions. They are recorded on my blog. And uh, the initiative is called um, Mission Empleo, which is translated to uh, Mission Job. And I also contact uh, reach to professionals in the industry, not only um, in the sports industry, because uh, there are people from, uh, from FIFA, from UEFA, from uh, also former professionals of Real Madrid, for instance, but there are professionals for, from companies as 21 Buttons or Volotea that they provide um, advice to, to find jobs. And I think in the end, we, we have to ask ourselves what we can do, um, and every step counts. And uh, and my objective was to help one one person, and it did. So it was it was accomplished. And unfortunately, the the course, the online course, which is free, it reached. Um, I think that today it has uh, reached more than eighty hundred people in terms of uh, viewers on the website. So this was the main goal. And, and well, uh, actually, Katya mentioned that that she she uh, went across the the lecture. So so happy yeah. that it, that it could help. Yeah, I mean, actually, actually, uh, I just want to take this moment to thank you and thank everyone who's cooperating, um, not only in the sports industry but in general, because I have reached so many people with great knowledge, with um, maybe just that maybe they have like. So few few minutes, but they take the time to teach you about something. They take the time to share their practices, maybe to try and see if you can apply them in like in our local reality. So I think that cooperation has been key to try and and keep ourselves busy and to try and generate knowledge and and also because we have this possibility of of 
having issues with our mental health in our houses with this lockdown mm -hmm. and and the pandemic so i think this has been crucial and i really want to thank you because this is this is really important for every everyone out there that maybe not even because they are unemployed it's just because we how we now have the time to to focus in some other things so really that's that's really important for us xavi and i really want to thank mm. you for that yes, oh, thank, you, thank you for for the feedback i think in the end we can give or give back in, in many ways it can be money it can be time and, and your podcast is an example of providing ideas to to people that want to build a better world and also to have more women in football and more women athletes as well so that's i mean i think that your podcast is a great initiative to do that and, and in the end it's about uh, asking ourselves what, what what we can do to to do something um, better for others. Yeah, it's exactly that, Xavi, and exactly also what Maria said. And Maria mentioned a, a point that is mental health, and this moment of the pandemic is uh, really many people are really struggling with that, and we have to ask ourselves what we can do, especially about women's football and women in football, uh, but women's football in. Um, particular way because we we have been forgotten let's say <laughs> during these times uh from uh, some federations let's let's only say federations so uh, thank you for that that keeps us busy and also believing that it's possible for the ones for example that, that we don't have a job we need to to uh, keep going and uh, it's possible to to reach it and to learn from the best the best ones that are in inside of the industry and uh, Xavi, uh, we are approaching the final of this episode. So we would like you to leave here a message to inspire the ones who are listening to pursue a career in marketing through the women's football pathway. Sure, sure. Um, I would say that marketing is about solving problems. I think that it's very important to, to identify challenges and, and problems and opportunities and provide solutions. I think that's it. And the bigger the problem, the bigger you will get paid because the, the most value you, that you will you will offer and to do that i believe that there are certain skills that are very important such as uh, empathy because you have to to be very um uh let's say you have to understand what people need and how you can add value to to clubs or to federations another one is storytelling if we understand the world through stories we tell stories about what we buy what we see what we watch um it's, it's, it's fundamental to tell good stories to sponsors or to fans so we can interact and engage with them in a meaningful way. And finally, creativity. Um, in a sport where many stakeholders don't have uh, the resources that they would like to, uh, creativity can compensate uh, that lack of resources to get awareness, to build trust. So, And, and I would also say to, to leverage and to take the opportunity of this pandemic pandemic to redefine risk sometimes we think, uh, think as risk as uh, for instance um, going to another country to to try to find uh, a job or, or focusing on fear of what we couldn't maybe what we will not be able to achieve and I think that this pandemic is very useful to think about risk um, to me the real risk is not uh, maybe not living the life you want or not working on your passion uh, that's to me that's the real risk not uh, failing at trying so I think it's a good opportunity to to define what is risk for us and and, and I would say to everyone just to, to pick yourself 
to pick yourself and know which are your strengths, what you believe in, what causes, which causes you would like to support and try to, to add that value in, in, in sports and, and in women's football. And with this small uh, part of coaching, personal coaching, sorry. <laughs> thank you. I'm thank sorry. You. No, <laughs> no I mean, this, this is amazing. Thank you very yeah. much. I'm sure our audiences are really, really happy after these words that you just mentioned. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And that's a wrap, everyone. We want to thank you so much for hearing us and for the amount of love that we have received from the beginning of this project. We're really happy, Katia and I. And just keep your doubts coming, keep your suggestions coming. And please do not forget following us on Twitter or Instagram accounts at Two Goals Podcast. And see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you.